Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. Welcome back to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. Today, we're going to do a continuation on something we started a couple episodes ago, dealing with conspiracy theories. Yes. Sheldon's conspiracy theory was so good and elaborately uh, drawn out and studied that we just didn't have time for both of them. So that's what we came down to right there. Yeah, basically, I'd watched way too many YouTube videos on it. <laughs> and since then, I've watched a lot of YouTube videos on conspiracy theories. In uh, general? Kyrie Irving's Earth is Flat yes. thing kind of captured yes. my attention. Yes. Um, and it's really a rabbit hole. Let's <laughs> just start going down <laughs> they some all, of They all are. They all are. And just speaking of that, because that was one of the things I was going to talk about on here anyway, because I was going to say a couple of conspiracy theories that I just enjoy, but this is one that I'm like... I'm up to my eyeballs in the the main one I'm going to talk about is one that I'm really think is pretty valid, but like the flat earth thing, like I'm to me, I have no dog in that fight. It's like, to my mind, I'm kind of like, so like if it is flat and we're and whatever, you know, who cares? But again, I don't believe it is. I, I don't see any evidence or reason that yeah. I can say that is sound that can follow all the way through. But the thing that gets me the most about it, and I mentioned this to somebody, uh, talking about this i said i have not seen a single reason why anybody benefits from lying and saying that the earth is a sphere instead of the earth being flat and i've never seen anybody give a good reason that you can like follow through to the end it's a lot of time and effort spent on gaining nothing Nothing. yeah right and and not protecting anyone or right well and this person's argument was well think about the x amount of billion dollars that nasa gets all the time and you know where's that money actually going and i'm sitting here i'm like but the assumption that the earth is round has been around for like two thousand years like it's not a new idea it's not something that just like came came out since the space age has happened and so to my mind i'm like that that reasoning doesn't hold up. Like, sure, but the, the governments can do whatever they want with the money they allot. Like, it doesn't matter. They wouldn't have to lie about it and say that or whatever. I don't know. So anyway, I've never I've never heard. It's a compelling theory. I'm I'm very entertained by it, but I'm not anything and, beyond that because you can't you just can't find that point where somebody can say this is why it's done and this is why we're being tricked and follow it through to like a conclusive that makes sense. That's probably. To a point valid the reason. At yeah, I I just want to talk about conspiracy theories and why we're doing this a little bit. Yes, I think we did a little bit of that in the last episode, but I do think that it's always good to have a healthy distrust of the immediate narrative. Absolutely. So, like when something tragic happens, when something unexplainable happens, when something phenomenal happens, a lot of people want to rush out there and tell you why. Right. And what was, I I mean, most recent instance, the election, everybody beforehand thought it was a sure thing and afterward they wanted to tell you immediately why this result happened why they were wrong why they were wrong and so 
then they come out with a narrative and they want you to believe this narrative. And if it's repeated long enough, people are going to believe it. And I believe as like healthy, normal people, we should have a healthy distrust right. of the information that's being right. given to us. Not, not where we're suspicious of everything that's like tinfoil hat weird. Right. But the reason we want to talk about conspiracy theories is because it's a whole brand of facts that get pushed to the side and said, these facts don't matter. Right. And then a conspiracy theory is grabbing all those facts <laughs> and creating a separate narrative and saying, you know what, but what if... This was true. Right. And it, I, I think intelligent minds are open to a sp perspective that is not theirs. Right. So right. it's part of just opening your mind to something else, another way of seeing a set of events. And maybe there's no truth there, but right. you may find out more about how it really went down. Right. Just by well, going and, there. And I, and I have no problem with that approach to conspiracy theory because reality of it is conspiracy theory is something that, Inevitably, some of them will turn out to be true. I mean, it'll turn out that, oh my goodness, this was actually what happened and this is how we were lied. I mean, you look at something like the MKUltra experiments, which I don't know if you've ever read about that, where I won't even get into that, but basically where the U.S. government was sanctioning experimentation with LSD and different oh, things. To, yeah, I have heard of that. Yeah, some trippy stuff. And there's called. a whole lot more in that rabbit hole. Yeah. But I mean, again... You, you get Freedom of Information Act, things come out, and you're like, oh my goodness, some of these things were true, some of them weren't, you know? Yeah. I mean, there were no zombies being held anywhere or anything like that, but the problem that I have with with most people who are really, really dedicated conspiracy theorists, um, first of all, they're amazing researchers. I mean, the, the, the depths that they will go to to delve into these things is absolutely incredible. So, I mean, there are some positives, but my thing is, is it usually starts with, like, this overwhelming meta-narrative of a... a, a mythical shadowy they who yeah. are always out to get us and have always been out to get us. And I feel like when you start from that premise, you get to a place where if one conspiracy is validated and you find out it actually was a real conspiracy, then you suddenly think, and now all of them are true because this is the they doing all of these things, pulling all the strings. And so when you start with the idea that there is this overarching they collective that is just pulling the strings, this limited number that's pulling the strings for everything, it, it starts to get too, it's too much of a conclusion before you start. It's, it's that whole idea of like cyclical reasoning where, where yeah. you're just, you're feeding your own, your own ideas without being able to think objectively about some things. And yeah, I was going to say, C.S. Lewis, when he's talking about Christianity, says that he believes it's real because it's something that you could not have guessed. Right. It's not something <laughs> that you could have made up. And that reality is often something that you cannot have guessed. Right. It, because something that's phenomenal, it's outside of the norm, uh, outside of the norm. It's not something anybody saw coming. And so when people give you a narrative that you think this could have been guessed. Like, right. It's good to say reality might be something that you could not have guessed. Right. And I don't know. I, I just, I like them. I like exploring them. Oh, yeah. I just don't live no, in conspiracy. Yeah, they are a so. ton of fun. I mean, they really are. Um, I'm not scared of the mob. I'm not <laughs> scared of, <laughs> of the, the government. They, the know, they, whoever you know, they are. Yeah. And um, the enemy above, the enemy below, right. the enemy outside. Right. It, I, I will deal with them as they come. Right, as they come. <laughs> and and the, thing that, the thing that bothers me, I think, uh, the most, though, about that, that idea of the, the overarching is that I feel like a lot of things that are genuinely um, worth exploring don't get delved into the, to the point they need to simply because you can attribute it to the shadowy them. 
you know, it, it, it gives you a, a, a lazy stopping point in my mind to say, well, of course, because they are all trying to control us or they're trying to kill us or they're well, it's like, give me a specific they like it's a cop out. Yeah. Like, like let's, let's get yeah. to a, like who, who is the they, because if it's just they, I can't, I can't attack a they, I can't push back against a they, there has to be some specific. And, and again, I don't, all the things that were attributed to George W. Bush, he actually did them. He doesn't have enough time in the day <laughs> to actually get all of that done. Right. Like he wakes up, puts right. his pants on one leg at a time, goes and gets <laughs> breakfast. He doesn't have, he doesn't wake up right. in the morning doing all the things that you right. say he's doing. And so. again, I mean, you know, I would say if there is a, sa- a shadowy they behind all of the strange occurrences and, um, horrible things, whatever that have happened. I mean, there human nature is the shadowy they. I mean, human nature in and of itself is an ugly, ugly thing. And, and it will always try to dominate. It will always try to control. Sure. And so I don't think you need, you know, an, an Illuminati group of, you know, 12 people who are basically orchestrating that. People left to their own devices, given enough power and enough authority, they will go there on their own. You, you don't need that. And so... Um, yeah, so that's just a little, a little random, a little aside, a so random little aside. We wanted to get to what Nate has picked as his favorite conspiracy theory, and we picked these out of a group of many. Yeah. So, for mine, I picked out of a group of many. Nate picked out of a group of many. And, right. Uh, my my two. I hated Nate's first one, <laughs> and which one was it? I forget. The JFK alternate right. time theory. I, right. I, that's what I right. said at the end of last podcast. Right. I said I hated yours. Right. That's why, because. <laughs> It was not something that I'm right. like, well, I don't find any plausibility. Right. In it. Well, and I, I, I mean, I believe LBJ had JFK killed. Yes. So. I, I tend to, I tend to move towards that too, that it was, it might've been collusion between LBJ and the FBI, namely J Edgar Hoover, uh, because neither one of them could stand the Kennedy brothers and had major issues with them. So yeah, that's where I tend to go with that. And honestly, that's probably one of my favorite conspiracy theories because there's so many places you can go with it. But it's everybody's favorite. And it's everybody's favorite, right. So so I wouldn't I wouldn't pick that one. Although the one element of it that that fascinates me is I remember and I can't I couldn't find it. I mean, and that's telling you that it must be pretty deep, but I couldn't even find it anymore, but I I saw a theory once that that Jack Kennedy wasn't actually killed, but he was he was massively disabled to the point that he was just going to live as a vegetable. And so he just lived out his days, you know, at various Kennedy retreats where nobody could see him and whatever. They just hit him from the world because they didn't, they would rather have him go out in the grandeur of being assassinated than just fade slowly away as a sad reminder of what he had been. But the point of that doesn't really accomplish. And it doesn't, it doesn't accomplish anything, but that one fascinated me because that was a, that was kind of a new twist. Um, So again, yeah, the Kennedy assassination, I love, there's so much to talk about. With that one, but that's not what I'm going to do today. Uh, my other, my other runner-up uh, was the uh, the theory that uh, that Yoko Ono was actually the uh, the architect of John Lennon's assassination. Huh. Um, and and the premise that I saw of that was that you know he was he had basically become completely dependent on her. He was no longer playing music, no longer doing anything. He was just literally staying at home, being what he called a house husband. And she was out doing her art and her music, um, and he was home raising their son, Sean. Well, then some things started to change. He started to reconnect with Paul McCartney. There were rumors of a Beatles reunion, and not like 
there are always rumors of reunions of somebody, but like legitimately yeah. they were starting to talk to each other and become friends again. And he was starting to do music. You know, he started to do things like Imagine, like some of these things are starting to come out and he's, he's starting to get his feet under him again. And then all of a sudden he gets shot by a guy who wanted to impress Jodie Foster. Like that, that was the, and again, there's all kinds of things like people think the CIA did it, whatever. But the most fascinating one to me is that she did that so that she could continue to live off of his name, his legacy and keep him permanently yeah. controlled, which again, I know is really a horrific thing to say considering they were married and whatever. But so, so no, no offense intended to, uh, to Yoko Ono. It's just a conspiracy yeah, theory and one that is, is fascinating to me. Um, but anyway, the one that I ultimately picked is, is, uh, is the, the death of General George Patton. Um, and he, to me, is one of the most fascinating characters in history. He's, he's the kind of guy where when you read his story, when you, when you hear about him, you think to yourself, this is made up. Like, just the man's, yeah. what he did, what he accomplished in life, who he was, is just like a, a fairy tale. But he's, he's really, really incredible. Um, and I'm actually, I know this is cheap, cheap that I'm doing this, but I'm actually going to pull up some stuff on the Wikipedia page just so I can remind myself of, uh, of some, of the, uh, some of the things he, has, he accomplished in his career because I don't want to leave anything out. So give me just a the second here. ultimate preparedness here. Yes. yes. Uh, well, I looked it up on my computer and forgot to bring my computer with me. <laughs> so here we are. We can always edit out the silence. Yeah. General Patton was... Is everybody's major war hero of the 20th century. Right. I mean, that's, he was the pinnacle of military right. achievement. Maybe Eisenhower. I mean, yeah. Eisenhower also. But the but interesting thing is, is I would, in reading about Eisenhower, like Eisenhower wasn't really a soldier. No, he wasn't. Like he, he was a, he was a, he was a brilliant delegator and he was a brilliant politician, but he was not a soldier. I mean, yeah. I, uh, there's no other way to describe that. But anyway, so so talking about a couple of things here, some of the things that he did. Uh, George Patton, you know, was your typical all-American kind of dude, born in California, uh, and went to, um, what was it that he went to? I, I don't think he went to West Point. Um, he went to the Virginia Military Institute. Okay. Uh, and... After after coming out of there, he was he was an officer, uh, served through World War uh, World War One uh, as as uh, trainer and tank commander, and was you know decorated in World War One. Um, ended up uh, being a part of the the, the expedition uh, against Pacho Villa in uh, in in Mexico. Um, he was an Olympian in in the nineteen twelve. Yeah, he did the uh, the pentathlon. Was the pentathlon? Let me let me make sure. Yeah, the pentathlon um, and. The only reason he did not win was because when he was there's a shooting uh, aspect of that. So what you would do is let me see what it is. It's uh, at that time it was he placed 21st on the pistol range, seventh in swimming, fourth in fencing, sixth in the equestrian competition, so horseback riding, third in the foot race, and finishing fifth overall and first among the non-Swedish competitors. And it was Swedish Olympics. Well, not Swedish, but you know it was in Sweden. It was in Stockholm. Yeah. So. And in, in the pistol round, if he would have if he would have done better in the pistol competition, uh, he probably would have won an actual medal in the Olympics. But he chose to use a 38 caliber pistol instead of the 22 caliber pistol that everybody yeah. else was using. And he claimed that the holes from his shots were so large that some of them had passed through each other. 
Okay. So that they were counting as misses things that he had just hit so close on the target that they looked like one shot, but they wouldn't wouldn't count that. And apparently after that, they've now they now do a moving background between each shot, so that if a shot is missed or if a shot goes through the same hole, they can see it in the paper background behind. So um, so very likely he he may have actually won that event, but just not been able to actually prove it. That's a little bit. I caught a fish this big, though. Yeah, you know, <laughs> right, right, of course. Um, so then, yeah, like I said, World War One was a hero in that, um, and then just was a career military man. I mean, he was the epitome of a military man. He yeah. he was one of those who even saw, he, even though he understood the the horrors of war, he was one of those guys that when there was not a war to be fought, he felt useless. Like he literally felt like God put him on this earth to be a warrior like that is what was, was his primary reason for existence and not only that this is one of the weird things is i think he was presbyterian uh and yet he believed in reincarnation which he didn't think that that at all conflicted with the christian faith at all which is odd but the reason he believed in reincarnation was because he was convinced that he had been a a warrior for hundreds if not thousands of years you know and 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 had distinct memories or experiences or dreams of fighting in particular battles that actually happened okay. or whatever. And he was just convinced that he had just been this same warrior. You know, I always think of it as Wolverine, you know, just passing through the ages, fighting every single battle that he could. Um, so he was just an interesting guy all, all over the place, just a strange dude. Um, he was known for being like excessively irreverent um, in that, like he would give speeches to his men and he would swear. And I mean, not like, Oh yeah. Not like little ones, but like big, I mean, what I would call creative swearing. I mean, unbelievable things that he would say. And 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 the brass hated him. They thought it was beneath, you know, the the role of a general, all of these things, but his men absolutely loved him. Yeah. I mean, they loved him. And it was he spoke extremely like a endearing. soldier, not like exactly. a diplomat or exactly. or a paper pusher somewhere. Right. And know? again, that's what he was. He was a soldier. He was a brilliant tactician, always moving forward, always on the attack, always wanted to he just had an aggressive spirit. Uh, was an amazing guy. Um, but once we get into World War II, um, I've got a couple of facts here of just what he accomplished, uh, first of all. And there, there can be an argument made that he was the best general on both sides of the war, or I would say on all sides of the war. Yeah. The only person who I would say would give him a run for his money was, uh, was Rommel, um, who was... Who was killed by Hitler <laughs> right before the D-Day invasion, so he never got to face him on German soil. Um, unfortunately, that, that would have been... That might have changed the, a lot of, a lot of Patton's Patton narrative. Patton wanted that fight. Yes, he, he did. He wanted to go head-to-head -head against he, he He would keep a, a, a copy of the, the book that Rommel had written at his bedside so that if he couldn't sleep at night, he would read that. Like that was, he had tremendous respect uh, for, for Rommel. And... and I think I think Patton genuinely thought that Rommel was the best general on either side, um, and I think Rommel thought that Patton was the best general. It was just one of those things. But again, they never never got that that epic showdown, um, which again could have changed the course of so many things. But uh, this is something I pulled down here uh, between becoming operational in Normandy on August first, nineteen forty four, and the end of hostilities on May 9, nineteen forty five. The Third Army, which Patton commanded, was in continuous combat for 281 days. In that time, it crossed 24 major rivers, captured 81,500 square miles of territory, including more than 12,000 cities. Yes, that did say 12,000. Wow. I was going to say 12,000. And towns. 
The Third Army claimed to have killed, wounded, or captured 1,811,388 German soldiers, six times its strength, its own strength, and personnel. Um, someone actually reviewed the Third Army's records and differed in the number of enemies killed and wounded, stating that between August 1st, 1944, and May 9th, 1945, 47,500 of the enemy were killed, 115,700 wounded, and <laughs> these are big numbers, sorry, 1,280,688 captured for a total of 1,443,8888. And so at conservative estimates, they were maybe 400,000 off in their estimates, but it was yeah. over, well over a million, close to the 2 million mark. And so they were just an incredible fighting force. Um, and the reason they were an incredible fighting force was, A, they were obviously, they were well-trained. U.S. military was, was so prepared for D-Day and all that they were going to do. But Patton just did not know anything but attack. Like, he did not know how to do anything else. And he would, and he would risk anything. He didn't care for politics. He didn't care about what the brass thought. If there was an objective and he was given the proper amount of fuel and ammunition, he was convinced he could take anything from anybody. And uh, one of the stories that I love that I wrote down is uh, there was a, uh, a, a, a town called um, Trier that, that he was told uh, was passed through the channels that he was supposed to bypass. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't take it because he only had two divisions and they, in assessing it, said, oh, well, we, we'll need four, so you need to either wait or bypass it so somebody else can come along and attack it. And his response to the brass was, this was his exact response, this is what he sent them, have taken Trier with two divisions. Do you want me to give it back? <laughs> he had already done it by the time yeah. they sent him the message to say stop. So said, go get it, and yes. he's already got it. Yes, which is how he got the name Old Blood and Guts. Like, he just didn't care. He was, he was willing to sacrifice anything and everything uh, for victory. Um, one of the interesting things is that throughout the course of, of, of the war um, in Europe, once they got over there and once D-Day had happened and they were advancing on Germany, there, there, there began this foot race between the British, the Russians, and the Americans. It was this odd competition, even though they were allies. And it eventually degraded into simply a foot race between the, the Russians and the Americans, um, as opposed to the British, because at that time, the British Empire was starting to fade away. It was just kind of a hint of its former glory, all that stuff. And so these are kind of the big superpowers that were rising up to take its place. So in the middle of this, there were so many political decisions that were made based on these alliances that they had, which drove Patton nuts. Like I said, he just wanted victory. He didn't care. He didn't care about the politics, didn't care about geopolitical anything. He just wanted to win. That was it. So he was constantly, um, one of the biggest things that he wanted to do was get to Berlin first. Like yeah. He wanted to beat the Soviets to Berlin, take it himself, and just have done with it. And because of the things he'd done in, his, in the past, Eisenhower knew that if he was well-equipped, he would do it regardless of what the chain of command said. And Eisenhower also was stuck because they were in the middle of fighting for their lives, you know, in Europe, trying to get to Germany. And, and he, he actually, uh, he couldn't get rid of Patton because he fought and he won. You know, he was, he was a winner. He was going to win. And so even though he was a pain in the butt for Eisenhower, 
he couldn't get rid of him, no matter how much Washington or other brass wanted him to get rid of him. He just yeah. he was too much of an asset. Well, you don't pull a guy off like that off the front lines. Right. You you just won't do right. it. Right. And so his his solution as head of the entire um, Allied effort was to short supply him. So he gave most of the supplies that were there, whether it was fuel or ammunition, uh, you know, boats, pontoons when they needed it to create uh, uh, bridges. He gave most of it to uh, General Montgomery, who was head of British forces. And Monty just hoarded it. He wasn't moving. He wasn't doing it. Monty was as cautious as Patton was forward. Uh, he was he was always thinking about the next move, the next plan. Where's the, where's this going to lead? He played like a chess player, whereas Patton was like a bulldozer. Um, and Patton knew this. Patton knew they weren't being supplied, and it frustrated him because it stopped them dead in their tracks. Because they just they literally did not have the tools to make war, and yeah. that just stuck. Um, so he was extremely extremely frustrated by that. So as a result of this. Um, he started to kind of look around at the things that were happening, at the things that were going on, and seeing the political climate of what was going on. And first of all, he really mistrusted Russia. Um, he, he was quoted one time as saying that we've come into Europe to replace an evil tyrant, and we're allowing him to be replaced by one even more determined and more evil in yeah. the Russians. And he literally, he wanted to go from war, from victory in Europe... He was, he was constantly telling the brass, as soon as we're done fighting the Germans, we need to attack the Russians. Like, we need to take them out immediately. Because this alliance that we have, it's nothing more than the enemy of my enemy is my friend. They're going to turn on us immediately. He basically looked and saw the Cold War. <laughs> like, he, yeah. he kind of saw this foreshadowing of where it was going and what it was going to be and said, we've got to do something about this immediately. And, of course, the brass thought he was crazy. You know, everybody thought... You know, it's fine. It's no big deal. And here, you know, Stalin and Churchill and 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 Roosevelt had all compiled this big plan of how they were going to divide Europe. Like it was already set in stone. They they had already orchestrated everything that was going to happen. Um, and the problem is that in doing that and in holding back Patton, they literally extended the war. Yeah. And so more lives were lost. More resources were were used up. Simply because, for political reasons, they had decided, well, the British are going to take this, the Russians are going to take this, the Americans are going to take this, and setting up the ideal situation for what was going to happen in the Cold War in terms of, you know, the division of, of Berlin, the, you know, the East and West Germany, the, like all of that stuff yeah. was all preset by those world leaders. And this I've, is not I've, conspiracy. This is just common knowledge. I've heard that total, total victory brings peace, mm -hmm. and that compromise often just breeds the dissension and extends right. the thing longer. And right. that's exactly what was playing out. Right. If you have total victory or total authority where the loser accepts the terms of the winner and we can all move forward from there and the winner gets to write the textbooks as to who was good and who was bad and we just move on, right. you know, and you right. accept the terms cause you lost and then we're done. It can often save more lives, even though there was a lot of collateral damage to get to that point. Right. But it saves all the extenuating skir skirmishes and years right. and years of sending people over there. And, right. Yeah. And so, so essentially Patton was a pot stirrer. He was, he was somebody that would not go away. And so just a, a list of a couple things that he was, uh, you know, besides feeling like they needed to go to war with the Russians right away, he felt like they just, he wanted to continue. Um, just a couple of things is that, um, 
first of all, he did not like Eisenhower. He, he thought of him as exactly what I said, not a soldier, just simply a politician who wore a uniform. Uh, did, there was not a whole lot of respect between these two men. They tolerated each other. And um, one of his primary things in complaining was that he felt Eisenhower specifically had allowed the deaths of thousands of Americans uh, because part of him stopping them from going, going on and moving into Berlin and doing the things that he wanted to do um, like led to the battle of the bulge, for example, which is one yeah. of the most famous battles of, of world war two and that offensive. And, and so thousands of people end up dying here all because he was shortchanging Patton, literally not giving him fuel, not giving him ammunition. So he started to actually get some genuine bitterness towards Eisenhower beyond just thinking of him as a, as a pencil pusher who just happened to have more stripes and stars on him, you know, than, than, uh, than Patton did. But a guy like Patton is going to naturally resent authority. Absolutely. Over him. So Absolutely. Whether or not that authority was good in the long run or bad, right. that's for history to judge. But right. just being the person that he was, Absolutely. he is going to run up against his authority at right. some point. And, and it's just going to happen. Right. And, and I think the thing that was, that turned it into almost enmity as opposed to just that kind of rebellion against authority was again, that he did not that that Eisenhower didn't have the credentials that that Patton had. Like Patton had gone to war, Patton had fought, Patton had done these things that Eisenhower had never done. So I think if you would have had a superior who would have been able to say to him, "I know exactly what you're experiencing. I know where you've been. I know what, but this is why." I think he at least could have respected that. But he completely lost all respect for. And in the, peacetime, the it's easier to to yes. respect a less qualified superior. Right. But in war, when you feel like somebody who's less qualified is making a decision right. for you, you're going to meet that in a way that's not going right. to lead to anything good. Right. So in the end, you know, as, as, the, as the war wound down, basically they, they did everything they could. You know, he was, a, he was a, 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 a tool of war that was just no longer needed because now the armistice had happened, everything was done, uh, and, and here he was in Europe. And he did some extended things, went, went home, you know, went to London for a while just to do some rest and recuperation. Then he came back and they assigned him as the provisional military governor of, um, oh, I forget where it was actually. I might have it written down here. That doesn't look like I do. But anyway, he was, he was, he was the, uh, the provisional military governor in a, in a place and began the whole process of what, w- what we would become known as denazification which was basically oh, a place in Europe. He's yes. Okay. Yes. Still so, in Europe. He, okay. he returned to Europe. He no longer had command of anything. He was just in occupied or Europe. Yeah. Somewhere. In occupied okay. Europe as the provisional governor, military okay. governor of a particular region. And they began the process of what they called denazification, which was removing any vestige of Nazism, whether economic, social, artistic, like any element, every bit of it, any bit of it, just removing it. Like that was the, the idea was just to eradicate it as a, as a belief, as a thought process in every way. Um, and Patton was actually very critical of it because he didn't feel like it was just in that there were people that were artisans and architects and, and people who were qualified people who joined the party just because it was the party. You know, and he actually had some quotas saying something to the effect of, you know, the Nazi party here is just like Democrats and Republicans back home. You know, they're just a political party that people align themselves with to get things done, and even if it wasn't bad. some people aligned out a survival. Mentality. Exactly. Yeah. And so he saw that, that bigger picture of it. And again, being Patton, he, he 
explained it in a much more controversial manner than he should have. But he was very criticized for that. And so just because it was looking, it looked like he was somewhat siding with, with Nazism. And the biggest thing came when he allowed certain people who had been a part of the party to retain their positions in his provisional government. But again, his excuse was like, these are the people who actually know how to get these things done. I can't just remove them and go with people who don't know what they're doing. Um, so in the end, he, he decided, I'm done with this. I'm going to go home. I'm going to resign from the army. And I'm going to start telling what I know about what happened over here. I'm going to start talking about the things that are coming with Russia. I'm going to start talking about the ways that the brass held back victory and how thousands more died than needed to. So he basically was saying, I'm going to divorce myself from the chain of command so that I can be a loose cannon without any repercussion. His version of the event. Yes. And, and so therein lies the diverging point where we get into how Patton died and why. So, yeah, because that's conjecture. We don't actually know what he's gonna, what he was doing. No, but, but, but he, but yeah. he had written his wife and said basically, "I'm, I'm coming home. I'm resigning." Like this was known yeah. that he was gonna resign, and he did say, "I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start telling what I've seen." I mean, he did tell her that. So again, there was no public knowledge, but in the in the aftermath, we've seen correspondence between them where he's been very clear about what his and intentions were. And of course were. he would. Right. I mean, he's the type of guy that would. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, he, he knew he knew secrets of the war which would have ruined career, careers. And it's honestly very likely that if he had gotten back with his narrative that Dwight Eisenhower would never have been elected president because of the things he would have had to say, even just if it had just smeared his name enough to, to affect him in that way. Um, so... In, on December 8th, 1945, which was two days before Patton was supposed to go home. So he's still there, but he's, he's informed the Army his intentions to go home, his intentions to resign his commission once he gets home. Two days before he goes home, leaves Europe permanently. Uh, he and his chief of staff um, went pheasant hunting, um, and his, his, his chief of staff invited him to go. Um, and... Uh, so they're driving along and, and, you know, Patton's looking around cause there's all this destruction from, you know, the war, the battles that taking place. And he literally was quoted as saying, you know, just commenting on how horrible war is and think of all the waste of it. And then a few moments later, he collided with an American army truck at low, at low speed on a two lane highway. So gray, who was, uh, his, his, chief of staff and the others in the car, there were a couple others, including a driver, uh, were only slightly injured, but Patton hit his head on the glass partition in the back seat, began bleeding from a gash to the head and complained that he was paralyzed and having trouble breathing. Taken to a hospital in Heidelberg, Patton was discovered to have a compression fracture and dislocation of the cervical third and fourth vertebrae, resulting in a broken neck and a cervical spinal cord injury that rendered him paralyzed from the neck down. He spent most of the next 12 days in spinal traction to decrease spinal pressure. All non-medical visitors, except for Patton's wife, who had flown in from the U.S., were forbidden. Fatten, uh, Fatten. Patton had been told that there was no chance he would ever again ride a horse or resume a normal life, and at one point commented, this is a terrible way to die. He died in his sleep of a pulmonary, pulmonary edema, edema sorry, and congestive heart failure, at 1,800 hours on December 21st, 1945, Patton was buried at the Luxembourg American Cemetery and Memorial uh, in the Ham District of Luxembourg City, along with wartime casualties of the Third Army per his request to be buried with his men. 
that is the official narrative of what happened. So he had a broken neck and everybody else was like, right. We bumped at low speeds. Right. And so that is, that was the official narrative. So here, here are some of the, the oddities and the things that make me question the official story. So this hunting trip was on a Sunday morning and a large U S army truck that Patton's driver later said was waiting for him was just sitting down the road. Like they saw it, you know, coming for miles. It was a straight stretch just suddenly turned without signaling and abruptly turned into their, their path and caused a head on crash. And again, this was the day before Patton was going to permanently leave Europe. So this is one of the weird things, the driver of the truck and his passenger or passengers, cause they don't know who was, who all was in it. were never heard from again. They get there. The truck is there. The Patton's car is there. Every, everyone from Patton's entourage is there. Nobody in the truck, nobody. It's just completely empty. And they never, and they never, they never come up again. They were never brought up on charges. The driver was based on who had signed out the vehicle was Robert L. Thompson, but he was not authorized to have the vehicle and having any passengers was also a violation of the rules. Um, he was not charged and he vanished. And years later I was reading a person tracked him down and he'd already died by that time, but his family said that it didn't surprise them if he had been involved and that he'd been really opportunistic and uh, work in the black market and post-war Germany, wherein unknown dealings, he'd made a suitcase of money. Or a suitcase of debt. Right, right. Either way, either way. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so, so the guy never brought up on charges, never had anything to say. They don't even know where those people went. Again, even though they knew who the driver was. No charges, no nothing. And there was actually reports that he was drunk. But again, no charges. So, and he's drunk on a Sunday morning? Yes, which is, again... The least likely time Right, especially drunk. in that era. Very, very strange timing. So, um, yeah, again, uh, Patton and his aide, you know, everybody was fine. Nobody was hardly Plus, hurt. if he was except, drunk, it would have helped him in the car crash because right. he's relaxed. Right, relaxed. Probably not broke his neck. Of course. So, again, Patton, Patton was the only one that was severely injured. Even the driver was not severely injured. Yes. Which is odd. Right. So... Um, and not only that, Sundays were a no work day. And even in that case, a horde of military personnel, including a brigadier general, all of a sudden arrived at the scene after the accident had happened. And they were in the city of Mannheim. And there were great hospital facilities there. But Patton was taken 20 minutes away, 20 miles away, I'm sorry, to Heidelberg instead of staying in Mannheim Hospital. And when he arrived, the prognosis was horrible. And they basically said, "This like, there's no way he's going to live. So then the weird thing is, is even though he's paralyzed, like he's not, he's not going to be walking or any of that, but he's starting to get better. Like he's improving and he's getting to the point where he's basically saying, I still want to go home. Like, I don't, I don't want to stay yeah, here. I don't want to. This is a terrible way to die. Yeah. But send, I'm going to go home. Yeah. And so, and then all of a sudden overnight, he takes another turn for the worse, and the next day he's dead. Going from preparing to leave to dead within a 24-hour time span. So there were some other things that were weird, too, is that he, you know, here he is. He's one of the top generals in all of Europe. He himself had requested that a guard be posted outside of his room, which his room was basically just like a, a storage closet. It was weird where he ended up. I... I forget the details of that. And, you know, there'd been all kinds of rumors that he'd been murdered. No autopsy was performed on him. 
None. None. Not a single one. Not a, it was just, and oh, he succumbed. greatest general right. in the war. In the war. And basically it was just, no, he just succumbed to his injuries. We're not even going to bother with an autopsy. And not only that, and this is the, this to me is the doozy. This is the, the ultimate red flag right here. And that is that, sorry, everyone out there, I bumped, bumped the, the table. table. Um, and that is to this day, at this time, every single report and investigation of that crash, and there were at least five that were done, that were officially done that we know of, every single one has vanished. There is literally absolutely no paper trail of any investigation that has ever been done into the death of General George Patton. That's a better paper trail on UFOs. Exactly. And so the issue that I get into is that he was the type of person that made all the wrong people mad. Oh, yeah. And so the, the prevailing theories are that uh, the OSS, which would eventually become the CIA, was tasked with initially just finding a way to stop him, which eventually transformed into, okay, you're just going to have to kill him because we can't, we can't deal. Um, and then the other, the other being that and, and the OSS part of the operation, again, according to theory, is that they orchestrated the car crash. They, they paid the guy to wreck the car, and then they actually had a sniper who was using a low-velocity um, projectile to shoot Patton in the back of the head in a way that would break his neck but not actually leave a bullet wound. It was just a heavy... And and they do have those kind of things from that era. It sounds really weird, but they do exist. Yeah. I've, I've I've seen what they're that they're talking about. I don't like the clandestine sniper no, no. ideas. Well, and 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 mainly sniper, because sniper they're is given not, way too is, much credit. Yeah, sniper is not the right word. Assassin would be the right word because in in these in these theories, he literally would he literally came up to the car and like got okay. in and not and hit hit him in the neck with this thing while he was knocked out from hitting his head. In, yeah. in the initial crash. Um, and then the theory being, as it continues, that, well, that didn't kill him. He looked like he was going to cover. And so the Russians sent someone in to poison him. And that is why he died overnight. So again, it's, it's, there are so many places you could go and there's so many open-ended things. But the problem is there are no answers. Like there are no legitimate answers. You can't find any reports on what happened to him. You can't find an autopsy because it didn't happen. There are too many things where they were just content to leave it alone. And in my mind alone, I'm like that, that just doesn't work. And that doesn't fit the narrative that they've put out there yeah, as, if you as don't how and complete why he died. your narrative, at least right. Have enough honor to complete your narrative. At least in JFK, they said it was, you know, one shooter. Yeah. And they had a narrative. And right. They wanted you to believe it. Right. Here, you don't even get to the end of the narrative right. with they a don't, story that resembles something. Yeah. They don't even insult you with a, a stupid explanation. They just like, kind of like, well, he's gone. Car crash. He's gone. He's dead. Okay. The end. And so, again, my, my, in my lookings and what I've seen, my, my belief is that it was, it was a plot between, uh, it was something that was decided on by by the, you know, it may have gone all the way to you know, FDR and 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 Stalin for all I know, but I think it was a higher ups. This guy's going to be a problem in what we're trying to craft here, what we're trying to create. So he just needs to be eliminated. And they tried everything they d could do to stop him. You know, from preventing him from having victory in the war and trying to disgrace him to, you know again, legitimately making an attempt on his life and then that didn't work and then, you know, finally finishing him off in one way or another. So, and it's kind of interesting because I kind of saw a lot of weird parallels, not in terms of the heroism or anything, but in terms of the say anything and, and, 
and not care about anybody's opinion or narratives or whatever in, in like the Donald Trump campaign and who Patton was. Like you look at Trump and he was like the antithesis. If of Trump was everything. allowed to swear in his speeches, right. <laughs> you but might he was, have something. He was like the, the antithesis of everything that was politically okay. And, and, political norms like he was just a, he was a total maverick be it good or bad he was just a total wild card and so i started looking at this and i thought to myself man if Patton had been alive today whether he agreed with him or not i think he would have liked donald trump just because they seem to be cut from the same cloth in that manner um and that was fascinating to me and that's what, donald trump i don't think could fight oh no anybody. of course not again and that's why i'm saying like in in terms of the the heroism <laughs> and all that stuff there's no there's no <laughs> comparison there none at all I'm I'm just talking I'm just talking the the personality uh some of the personality traits being very similar in that ma- in that in that manner. But it, but again, that's what kind of kickstarted me on like looking into Patton a little more deeply and realizing that there's nothing to delve into. I mean, there's a theory to delve into, but there are no facts to delve into. It is just a gigantic pile of weirdness and loose ends that make no sense for the premier general of the United States Armed Forces during World War II. Um, it's it's just and again that one I I am I'm very high on that one being a a very plausible in my mind. There are just yeah. too many things that don't add up. So I think we're good with saying, hey, we kind of believe this one. You know, there's something fishy going on here. Yes. If you know more about it or you want to talk about it or you have a conspiracy theory that comes to your mind that you're like, hey, I really buy into this. This is something I really buy into. Just tell us on our Facebook page or wherever we happen to be posting this by then. Yes. And uh, talk to us a little bit about it. And we'd like to hear your weird conspiracy theory, too. (laughs) Something that you pretty much believe. Like, I pretty much believe the Titanic thing. Nate pretty much believes this. Right. If there's something that you are like, 98%, I believe this happened. And I'm not going to deal with the... 9-11 9-11 one. Right. I'm just going to say that. Right. Right. <laughs> Which right. is automatically going to make some of those out yes. there mad. But anyway. I'm just not going to deal with it. It is what it is. But anyway, uh, for this time around, uh, this is the things we say. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Yeah. Come back next time. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.